Welcome to the Tell Me Something Real podcast. Real people, real stories, real talk. Welcome back, realists, to episode number 39 of the Tell Me Something Real podcast. I have no idea where you're listening from, but this week was a real summertime scorcher for both of us on opposite ends of the country. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that and about the crazy effects of summer. And then we're going to catch you up on what we've been doing from home renovations to growing babies. So sit back, relax, grab a nice Aperol spritz, whatever that is, and enjoy. Let's get into it. Well, hello, Kelly. How are you doing? I am exhausted, but otherwise, well, how are you, Heather? I'm terrible. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. We talked about the positive thing. I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. Okay, great. So I'm going to convince myself I'm doing really good. Okay, maybe you will be by the end of this episode. I'm going to be amazing by the end of this. Awesome. So what's going on with you this week? Um... A lot, actually. So, yeah. so um, we've been redoing or upgrading our bathroom. Mm-hmm. So exciting. <clears throat> well, I mean, <laughs> it is actually really exciting. It's also a lot of work and a lot more work than we thought it was going to be. So we're basically mm-hmm. just redoing the walls and the ceiling because we had a lot of peeling paint. Well, Mm. it wasn't actually peeling. It was kind of like bulging from the side Mm. of the wall. And I've lived in so many questionable apartments in my life that Mm -hmm. I thought that that was actually just a bulge and that, you know, we probably needed to like sand it down if we wanted to paint it or whatever. No, once I started investigating, I realized that was just the paint coming off probably because of humidity or life or whatever happens. And so we have over the course of the last week, um, taken the majority of the paint off, Mm -hmm. sanded it all down and then removed quite a bit of plaster chunks of plaster that have sort of just crumbled under the paint. Um, because I guess there are walls that have like drywall, Mm -hmm. which is a newer thing, Yes. but the building that I live in was built in the thirties. And so Mm -hmm. it's mostly just plaster. Yeah. Um, and my grandparents' house was plaster. Yeah. And it just crumbles. It just falls right down. So, um, we have spent the entire week replastering, sanding, replastering, sanding, And last night we primed the walls and it looks better than this bathroom has ever looked. It's amazing. I'm almost just like so excited about it that I feel like we could just leave it where it is. But um, tonight we paint and then what's, what's the color going to be? Um, it's like rolling greens or something like that. It's sort of like a sea foamy mossy kind of color. That's the Um, color of my bathroom. Ooh, cool. We wanted to go with something sort of neutral because we're not going to live here forever. Um, 
if if we were i would probably go bold because i like bold colors yeah um, but i'm really excited about it i am i had never painted before in my life because i've like i said i've always kind of lived in apartments and i just didn't want to put the energy into a place that i wouldn't be living in for a while mm -hmm. um now that we've painted or primed which feels the same we use the mm -hmm. rolly things and all I feel yes. like, why haven't I been doing this in every single place that I've ever lived in my entire life? Like it's so hard in the bathroom because the bathroom's so small and we have to use this mm -hmm. really long pole to get up to the ceiling and you know, on all the walls and stuff, but in a big room with nothing in it, why have I not painted every place that I've ever moved into as soon as I moved in? I don't know, but I'm gonna start doing it. Okay, so I have, because of course we're opposite on everything. Mm. Yes. But can I pause here? Did you say you are painting? I primed. Like you yourself are mm -hmm. near paint. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm and I will also say, say that like, that. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with it. If I hadn't been, I wouldn't have done it. Um, so it, there are like no fumes whatsoever. Okay. And we have, well, for, obviously we're wearing masks. Um, sure and we have the windows open and the fans on and we have like air purifiers going and you know it's like okay. a whole situation now the really scary part was the the sanding and the the, yes. the plaster and all of that I was because also concerned about that it was very scary um and we had no idea that it would be it, because it's just so fine that it gets everywhere. Mm -hmm. My husband was yeah. doing it and I don't know how he survived doing it because he had the bathroom door closed. Mm -hmm. um, he was wearing a mask and goggles with the bathroom mm -hmm. door closed. Um, but it, you know, it still got all over the house. It was really crazy. I mean, it did settle pretty quickly. So it wasn't really in the air for very long, mm -hmm. um, but that was really scary. The prime stuff seems to have no you can't smell it at all. And it's like an acrylic based thing. So that actually makes sense because acrylic based paints don't really smell that much. Um, I have no idea what the paint is gonna be like. So that will be touch and go. We'll see how, we'll see if I'm going to be involved in that based on what it's like when the, the thing gets opened. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, so back to painting. Yes. Um, and, and I think later in this episode, we'll get into why maybe I'm concerned about you mm -hmm. in this remodel. But um, for now, I am a paintaholic. I've painted every place I've ever lived. I'm completely insane about it. I've made so much extra work for myself in life. My first apartment, I painted the kitchen mango. Yes. The bathroom was like lime green my bat my bedroom was lavender and the living room was like a super dark royal blue Ooh. and boy was my landlord pissed off when see I that's why up. i've never that's why i haven't done it too because i like really always want that that deposit back and i'm scared that i won't get a deposit back even if the place looks way better than it did before did you get yeah. your deposit back on those places so let me tell you the landlord had come over or i guess maybe the maintenance man had come over and uh and he had looked at it and i had finished every room except the kitchen and he said okay just finish painting the kitchen and i won't um because it does look good it was one of those old you know 19th century houses and like the historic district so it had like the big tall ceilings and you know it was just it just really helped like the yeah. rooms feel cozier to have those 
bold colors in it. Um, so I finished painting the kitchen mango, which was so much fun. But uh, yeah, no, then he totally reneged and said that he wasn't giving me my deposit back. And I'm like, but you said, and I think we got into a bit of a, you know, debate about it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately he might've given me back like half my deposit. I don't know. Anyway, it wasn't enough to teach me a lesson because I proceeded to paint pretty much every rental I've lived in since then. But I don't think I ever picked quite as loud and dark and bold of colors in the future. I try to pick things more neutral. I think that's what people are into though. Like I really do. I see some of the houses that are selling really fast. I mean, I guess all houses are selling really fast right now, but mm -hmm. they're all like super bold. And that's what I am into. I want a super bold room. I want bold everywhere. I, if I have to see another eggshell mm. beige room again, I might lose my mind. Yeah. What's up with you this week? Well, speaking of bathroom remodels, um, we started building a master bath in our bedroom about a year ago. So I went out and bought the biggest one person jetted tub that anyone can buy. Oh my gosh. That sounds the amazing. Thing, and it's amazing. And every other night I come home and I look forward to getting into the bath, even though the bathroom is not all finished um, with all the little details, the bathtub is there, it's tiled in, it's functional. But last night I went to fill up my bathtub. Mm -hmm. It takes a while. So I start it and I go do something else. So I was going to respond to some emails and then I hear the water getting slower and slower until it's a trickle oh, and no. it stopped. And Kelly, and it wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a ghost. <laughs> we ran out of water. Didn't know that was an option. I, I mean, didn't I know did. that was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> but it's never happened to us before. Right. And um, I've heard other people around us talk about their wells going dry. But I'm like, ah, our, our well never goes dry. Um, it seems so. like a just a like a saying. Yeah. You know, when the well runs dry. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought it was well, like that actually <laughs> happens in modern day times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we're in a pretty bad drought right now. So mm -hmm. I guess I should have been thinking about all that when I was filling up my 50 gallon bathtub every yeah. other night. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's the difference this summer. We've never had a bathtub. So I'm thinking I'm probably putting a drain on our well coupled with the mm. drought anyway we're problem solving how we're going to get around this situation but uh basically my understanding is that other people just go buy water mm -hmm. and refill their well so part of the draw to living in the country is that you don't pay for city water so the irony of going back to the city to pay for filtered water that has the chlorine and all that stuff mixed into it and then dumping that into your well. So anyway. Seems very, and I mean, I will tell you that I don't completely understand how wells work to begin with. I mean, I know people who in my lifetime have gotten their water from from wells 
but then it switched over to city water like i don't know people who still have well water to my knowledge so i mean it's it's a i mean obviously i've always lived in the city so it's a strange concept for me Mm -hmm. um because i i mean like stuff you know in movies like dead people fall into wells and and you know like what's yeah. the, I assume the, birds bugs like all sorts all of, of and everybody's well <laughs> I don't like, it just seems like I mean you have there. like no control over what's in the water so you filter it I mean all mm-hmm. wells have to have filters you change out the filters um, we actually invested in a pretty pricey very large under the sink filtration system uh-huh. so that we could use our tap water um, so the okay so the filter is at not at the source but at where it's, you are drinking it's water. throughout the process I mean you know okay. like you want as many filters on there so I think you know you can have a filter like at the source I know we have one in our house like in the main line filtering all the water coming into the house mm-hmm. but then for the kitchen we bought another separate filtration system just to filter the water coming through the kitchen faucet. Mm-hmm. But uh, twice that's broken in the exact same way. So I believe it's just a faulty design or whatever. Anyway, it doesn't work. We just had to shut it off. So we can't filter our sink water, but that okay. extra step. And this may be a crazy question, but I, I need to be educated on this clearly. Mm-hmm. So when I think of wells, mm-hmm. I think of like you go back to somewhere on your property and mm-hmm. there's like a stone structure and a little mm-hmm. bucket that goes down into the structure. Mm-hmm. And then there's water down there that comes from like under the ground. So how that, does that water get to your house? That is a type of well and mostly what I think I've seen in like um, cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so- movies with the dead people. So honestly, I've never been to our well. Uh, I know where about it's located, but it's not like that at all. Um, And so I'm speaking totally just off the cuff here because I don't really know, but I think that, you know, there, a well is like a place where groundwater sort of naturally collects, like, you know, so rainwater and melting snow. So like a pond? It's not underground? Yeah, okay. down underground. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm saying. A place deep underground where well, where mm-hmm. water just tends to collect. And I think, you know, they can be natural or I think you can build them, which is what mm-hmm. I'm sure this is. Oh. Uh, a place where water, but yes, you're then uh, subjected to the groundwater. I mean, that's why groundwater is a really big deal. So... And there's all these laws about like dumping and livestock when they're around wells. Okay, so you've never seen the well there's a well but it's underground so it's an invisible well and somehow that water the ground that signals that that's the well but i don't know but it's probably man-made you're saying that's what i think okay and then there are pipes yes then pipes run directly into your house okay and it's just like it's just like city water after that so, um, so everything happening at the well is a bit of a mystery to me, but for my experience, 
the water works just like it does in the city. I okay. I have pipes running through my house. You can fix those pipes. I turn on the faucet, water comes on, you know. Okay. Um, so I don't really get involved in the well part of it, but when it quits working, I become suddenly very panicked. I can imagine. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I have no preference for well, non-well. I mean, all water is kind of scary to me, like with all the stuff that they put in it or don't put in it. So I just don't, I, I don't have any experience with how it actually really works. So back to my bathtub. Anyways. Um, yeah. I may <clears throat> just drive around with five gallon water jugs. And if I see like somebody with a hose in their yard, just fill it up and take it home so I can fill up my bathtub. Um, Cause otherwise I don't think that I can honestly rationalize using that much water except on like a rare occasion now especially in the summer so I'm so sad that is really (sighs) upsetting I mean I will say that I take quite a few baths um and that's fluctuated in my life based on what type of bathing situation I've had and where I've lived and you know all of that um I think I probably took fewer baths when I lived in Los Angeles because it was a desert and it felt wrong Um, but now that we are changing this bathroom thing around, I'm barely showering comfortably. It feels like showering at camp because none of our stuff is in the bathroom. So you have to like take everything in there with you. And it's just so, I mean, I am sure that I use more water showering than, than I do in a tub because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, once I do all the things that have to be done in a shower, oh my gosh, it just takes forever. I mean, it's not like, you know, if I were a man and just going in there and, you yeah. know, it takes like three seconds, but. Yeah. And I think if, if I had a regular size bathtub, that would be fine. It's mm, just that yeah. I had like, I, I really had like giant having like, like if I lay down in the bathtub, like I am completely under water. Yeah. That, that was is... my, that was a demand I had. <laughs> And uh, I guess I was living in a bit of a dream world about Mm -hmm. water when I did that. It feels very wasteful and entitled and, and all of that. It also feels so beautiful and magical. And I I envy that situation. (laughs) When I do fill it up, I mean, I'm in there for like an hour. Like I am absolutely going to soak in every bit of enjoyment from that water and my little tub does like the bubbles and the jets oh my gosh or just the bubbles or just the jets and it's got like an led light and a little essential oil diffuser into the water thingy it's like the fanciest fun bathtub ever that's and now i think that i robbed my family of having water throughout the summer because i took like 10 baths in the last two weeks (laughs) well i mean i'm sure that they were worth it um (laughs) I for mean, me at least bat, baths for me are self-care that's like mental health 101 is must be able to take a bath and like relax mm-hmm. and read a book or something because I just it's one of the few places where I get to go and just like shut everything else out yeah like yeah, I just no. need it and if you could imagine like starting your bath and at the end of a long stressful day and thinking in 10 minutes you're about to be submerged in bubbly warm water 
with your music playing and your candles burning and in reality you realize that you have no water that was that was a bit of a jarring oh, moment so for me. tragic really <laughs> really the little bit of water is still sitting in the bathtub because I can't like bear to just let it go now it's it's all the water we have right there in the bathtub so. oh my gosh there it's just like i mean we are so american and like yeah it's but um bad. you know it still even even though it's a privilege it's a really nice one to have and i appreciate it every single time i get in a tub mm -hmm. when i was a little girl my grandmother would be you know get, go to give me a bath and she would get a mason jar and fill it up with water and hand it to me and say, in some countries, this is all the water kids get to bathe with. Nice. I mean, at least you're getting educated about that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I mean, so I've known since I was a kid and still that didn't stop me. I could have bought a smaller jetted tub. In fact, it would have been easier and cheaper to do so. But uh, yeah, I just, just really wasn't. Well, everyone has thinking. their thing, you know, like, and again, I, I think it's something I will be able to use, but it's going to have to really be every now and then, mm -hmm. you know, it just cannot be, be a treat, a regular thing. And that really bums me out. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was the whole point of having it at home was that I could do it anytime I wanted. And mm -hmm. so, like I said, I'm having pictures of me filling up jugs of water from random strangers hoses taking it home well, it's boiling, just like back in the like it in the bathtub back in the old days when people used to have to go and get the water and then heat it up on the stove and then bring mm -hmm. it like one little pail at a time to the tub yeah and I mean, if the whole family had to take a bath in the same water that's what we did when we were kids it was disgusting it was we, so disgusting like one after the other mm -hmm. or like all at the same time no one after the other Oh, when we, and probably, I mean, who knows? Somebody might have peed in there before. Mm -hmm. You have no, well, if nothing else, they're dirty. Like that's yeah. why you're in the bath. It's so <laughs> gross. And I remember like, um, when I was a kid having to bathe in like, you know, just a tad bit of water, like an inch yeah. or two, you know, yeah. and I, you know, I would like to think that that's because you can drown in an like less than an inch of water or something and so everyone cared about me but i think it really was more about like having family that grew up you know during the depression and not oh, wanting yeah. to you know not use the water i mean water was a real commodity so mm -hmm. um i just when i was a kid i just remember thinking when i grow up i'm gonna have a tub that's filled with water and no one yeah. can stop me that was but I guess someone has stopped you. Nature has yes. stopped you. Nature stopped me wow. in my tracks. Because yeah, nothing's worse than like going somewhere, filling up the tub, getting in it and being like, okay, only half of my body is going to be wet. Mm. Even if I fill this entire tub up, because like, you know, a standard tub's actually kind of a small. Yeah, tub. it is pretty small. It's a lot of times when I'm in the tub, I kind of fantasize about when I was a kid and I could lay down and yes. I wouldn't be able to touch the top that's or what, bottom. That's what I'm talking about. Like I, that's oh. what I, I had to have. Cause it, I cannot believe you have that kind of tub and can do. use it. <laughs> like that cool. is so yeah. my dream world. Not the not yeah, being able it's to gotta be it. like, I think the whole tub itself is like six feet long or something. Anyway, it's huge. It's a huge, you know, it's just for one person. Technically, 
not like Amazing. a, you know, multiple person jacuzzi tub, mm-hmm. um, which has like a filtration system and you could put water in it and it would, you don't have to keep filling that up because it's a bathtub, mm. you know, you have to drain that water out, but, um, whatever that's, that's where well, we're at. I'm learning a lesson in water conservation right here, right now. Yeah, that is okay. So, oh my gosh. All right. I was about to say we need to move on to the topic because we've been updating for too long, but you reminded me. Okay. So I just had this flashback of that scene in Dirty Dancing where baby and her dad and her sister are talking about like, cause I was going to tell you that this was a tragedy. And then I was like, that's not a tragedy. It's like monks burning themselves in protest. <laughs> that's a tragedy I love it and then it may and then I'm thinking dirty dancing and I have to bring up the fact that I watched this Patrick Swayze documentary (sighs) this week that was maybe the best thing that's ever happened to me really oh my gosh I have to it was so good and it was done by his wife or widow um but and it was just a lot of people talking like his brother um his manager like people who'd worked with him. So Jennifer Gray talks, Lori Petty, um, C. Mm-hmm. Thomas Howell, uh, Rob Lowe, like all these people who'd worked with him were talking about their experience with him. And like the guy he worked with in Roadhouse was talking about him and talking about how like the, the fight scene that they had was like a real fight that they actually beat the crap out of each other. In I've that heard scene. that, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, because like, I guess that guy was a martial artist or something and thought Patrick Swayze was a loser because he was like a ballet dancer and Patrick yes. Swayze thought he was like a total loser because he didn't respect like his ballet dancing whatever <laughs> and so they just totally started beating each other up and then afterwards became like best friends and totally had like the, the most respect for each other but exactly. everyone just talked about like how incredibly sweet he was and like how he could do anything like he actually did the scene and um and it's not like jumping out of a plane is a big deal but it is with when it comes to liabilities and mm-hmm. movies he did the jumping out of the plane scene in point break um mm-hmm. like they filmed it with a stuntman first and then they were like okay but um then i'm gonna do it and then yeah. they filmed that and that's what it was um oh my but, gosh he was so good in point break well they just talked to and they talked about how hard that was for him to film because he had never played a villain before and he yeah, didn't know how he totally, felt about that it was totally um, different and and I loved him for it because he I think him and Keanu did such a great yeah like contrast against each other um and I just love them both so much oh, I love that movie so much I do too gosh I haven't watched that in a long time now I'm gonna have to watch Point I Point. haven't either like yeah. but like surfer hmm. bad guy surfer dude Patrick Swayze yeah his hair in that movie hello oh my gosh yeah so like and they were talking like Demi Moore was talking um about how she met him like to to start filming Ghost and she was like this is just a regular guy like he's such a regular guy what are people into and she's like and then he took his shirt off and I was like oh okay I get it (laughs) that's funny (laughs) and that like it was just it was a really cool documentary he I, I mean I didn't I don't think that people give Patrick Swayze the credit that he deserves um, because he really was so well-rounded. I mean, he was like this very like manly man 
but also mm-hmm. like whatever that means. But then yeah. also like he had a, a ranch, you know, where he had like horses that he just took care of, um, yeah. which he basically got because his father died and he had always anticipated having a ranch that his father would then take care of and work on because his father was a cowboy and, okay. and into that sort of thing. So then um, Patrick Swayze's father died. It like ruined him. Um, that's mm-hmm. when he started drinking and like, you know, all sort of bad stuff happened. But, um, but then he had these horses and just like loved these horses and all these animals that they had. And he and his wife had always wanted to have kids. And then they had a miscarriage and mm-hmm. it kind of ruined that whole thing for them. And so then the, the animals were like his kids. Um, wow. And, but then he was also like this amazing ballet dancer who had been ballet dancing his whole life because his mom ran a ballet studio and that's where mm-hmm. he met his wife when they were like 14, he was like 14 or 15 and they were together until he died. And then he was like this, you know, badass actor, you know, guy. And then everybody talks about him having like the kindest heart and being like this, the biggest sweetheart. So, so I mean, it's just like, I, it was, it was a really good documentary. I I will, I, I suggest it to anyone. I'm totally going to watch it. And I can't help but think about um, when we were like the dance 11, 12. Yes. Like I would come to your house and you would always have gone to the video store with your mom and like have these rentals um, for us to watch. And one time you rented this like Patrick Swayze, how to like dance dance video. We learn to dance together. Yes. One, two, three, cha-cha-cha. But uh, it was so cheesy. But um, I mean, I just remember like anything Patrick Swayze at that point. I yeah. Was so into it. And like Jennifer Gray was talking about how Dirty Dancing was really like such a feminist movie because it was all about baby like coming into power and coming into her own as a woman mm-hmm. um, and him sort of like opening this up in more ways than one for her. But and so like at the end, like the lift was really her you know doing the thing that she couldn't do you know and which was being like a woman and being a grown-up and standing up to her parents and you know doing her own thing yeah I can see that really eye-opening that's great I I enjoyed it it's so good I love all Patrick Swayze movies except in there like a war movie the Red Dawn movie movie? yeah I'm, I'm not that excited about that movie Mm. see I think he actually kind of liked that movie because that's the one where he could be like I live off the land I know how to live (laughs) off the land and then but I guess the movie that he was the most proud of for the most part was City of Joy which didn't get taken and everyone hated it 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 was not well received at all but like he really wanted to do a move a film that like showed who he was and showed his heart and what he was you know interested in and wanted and showed that he was like a real actor um instead mm-hmm. of just a heartthrob or like somebody who you know was beating people up on screen um and then nobody yeah. liked it and it was so sad because I think the heartthrob thing is real but all of these other people totally thought that he was like that ghost was his favorite movie, or his best movie I mean I personally love ghost but I don't think it's his best movie and looking back 20 years later is certainly doesn't stand out as like his best work of art it was just a pretty good movie you know um I think that what people liked about that was that it really showed who he was Mm -hmm. um 
and especially like that the the part where he is doing that little monologue at the end about Mm -hmm. like love and stuff which I think you have memorized I have pretty much well I mean to be fair I have just about every movie that we watched as kids memorized so okay fair enough you know I was watching Labyrinth the other day and I had to hold back from just like saying the whole movie as it was happening yeah Yeah. (laughs) it took a lot too because I'm just like but I I I can do this we don't need yeah turn the sound always (laughs) I always talk through the worm part Mm -hmm. it's hard not to (laughs) me and my my kid we will like go back and forth with that like all the time just randomly I'll just be like hello (laughs) and my kid will be like did you just say hello or did you just say hello no I said hello I just don't understand people who didn't grow up with that movie it's weird to me I can't relate at all um but anyway I I honestly try to have been trying and still continue to try to find valid ways to use the word oubliette in daily conversation it's hard it's really hard when we went to Ireland there was an oubliette at Blarney Castle is that a real thing I just thought Jim Henson made that up no oh my gosh it's a real thing I'm so excited I was like nobody there was like a little thing that you fell through on the floor and everything oh my gosh and if I remember correctly it even like had a little thingy on it that said oubliette and then a description of what an oubliette is oh wow and I think a place where you go where you put people to forget about them yeah wow oh my gosh I have to go back and see the oubliette because that is by far my favorite word of all time. <laughs> it's fun to say. It's mysterious. It doesn't have like gross sounds in it. It, but it sounds mysterious. Okay. It's hitting. It's hitting on all. You know, all the chords. <laughs> all right. Well, on that. All note. right. <laughs> Should we take a break then, real quick? Yeah. Let's and take uh, a break. hear from our sponsor. Oh yes. All right. Well, to continue our fabulous hot girl summer theme, we are going to talk about being a hot pregnant girl in the summer. I've had that experience myself twice in my life and, uh, and have lots I can share about it. And I, I am think- currently experiencing that. So I yes. can totally tell you all about how hot that is. <laughs> Well, and being pregnant where you live in the summer was a completely different experience because I did it once back east. My first pregnancy I had in South Carolina and being pregnant in Oregon in the summer was quite a bit more pleasant, I would say, although still pretty miserable. I can imagine. So so tell us what what's at the forefront of your thoughts when you think about being pregnant in the summer? Well, Heather, it's so hot. It's just so hot and it's so early in the summertime. So the issues that you have to deal with are what to wear. Like Mm -hmm. what in the world do you wear when you're already uncomfortable and you're already bigger than usual? And then like, you're supposed to be exercising, right? So you get pregnant and they're like, it's really important to keep exercising. You should like go you know, go for a walk every day. You want to be, you want to be exercising at least 30 minutes a day. 
Like yeah. I have a little like insurance app that tells me like, have you gotten all your steps in today? Um, <laughs> and I was doing a lot of walking um, a month or two ago. And then I just, it's way too hot and humid now. It's disgusting. You just cannot do it. It's like 90 degrees outside or something and so humid. So yeah. these are like real issues. Cause it's like, all right, well, so first of all, you have to figure out how you're going to wear, what you're going to eat too, because you're already super uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. then in the summertime, like I always like to eat cold foods, you mm -hmm. know? So it's just, you have to switch your life and you can't, so, and there's no drinking. You can't be like, you know, throwing back a beer or a margarita or like whatever people do in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And now, because we're in the, we're still like in this weird pandemic -y phase, there aren't public pools really. So mm. you can't just go jump in a pool and yeah, just cool down in a pool. Pool is the thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if you don't live near a big body of water, which I don't, I live mm -hmm. several hours from a beach. So it's like, yeah. then you have to go, well, do I want to sit in a car to drive to then go be in the hot sun just so I can like get in the water for a minute? You know, it's like a whole ordeal, but I really want you to tell me about like what you were wearing when you were pregnant in the summertime. Yeah. So I'm going to probably focus mostly on my South Carolina pregnancy, since I think that information is more valid for your current Well, I mean, I think everyone, situation. like there are so many people who can relate to this. I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I know so many people who are pregnant right now going through this in all parts of the country. So. Yeah. And in fact, I really wanted to find similar outfits when I was pregnant a couple of years ago and was pretty bummed that I could not seem to duplicate what I, my staple maternity wear was 15 years ago. Okay. Which <laughs> so, was, okay. I had totally had a pair of like white thin pants and they were probably my favorite things. And i definitely wore them like every other day and then I had like a pair of like white khaki. thin pants like like yeah. linen flowy pants or like not not I, like I cannot pick I can't envision this at all and not totally flowy but light and loose they were just super comfortable and they added no extra weight or heat it's gotcha. like something you would wear in India like when, we, when I went to oh, India okay. was like wear all light loose fitting breathable fabrics, mm -hmm. nothing thick cotton, nothing clingy or stretchy, you know, so they were like that. And then I think I had a pair of khakis that were like capris. So get a little extra air and circulation to those ankles that are swollen. And I feel uh, very lucky that my ankles are not swollen at all. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had, I think four, maybe nice uh, tops. You know, okay. I had like a one that was like a little float, you know, kind of a flowy thing that was maybe a little more dressy, a couple of uh, tank top type things, and then like one t-shirt. Mm -hmm. So, and I pretty much just rotated through those week after week and maybe switched up what set of pants I was wearing with which shirt kind of a deal. Yeah. But uh, the thing about maternity clothes is they're very expensive. They're not necessarily well-made. Um, like they're definitely not designed to last for more than a pregnancy if they even survive the pregnancy. So I don't advise spending a lot of money, 
on maternity clothes and instead just getting a few good pieces that you can just keep wearing and like mixing and matching with accessories to kind of make it feel different. Yeah. So, I mean, up to this point, I've kind of just been wearing, I have these little linen shorts that um, have an elastic waistband mm -hmm. that I was wearing pre-pregnancy and they fit totally up to this yeah. point. And now they're kind of borderline uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that they are going to make it through the next couple of months. Yeah. And um, it's, it's really unfortunate because like I, at this point, so I have, and then I have another pair of linen pants that are maternity pants or shorts, but you know, and then I bought some um, maternity jean shorts, which mm -hmm. also they still fit, but now they're a bit snug. And I'm like, well, I guess we're just going to go naked from this point out. Cause like, I just don't even know, like I'm not spending any more money on yeah. specifically maternity clothes. So they either have to just be like really loose things that I can wear forever. Um, or, mm -hmm. you know, underwear. Yeah. Because, and I also bought, I bought a cute, couple of cute little dresses. The problem is, is that all dresses now are like, they're so short that if you sit down, you, I mean, mm -hmm. everyone's seeing everything and that's just not comfortable. So it's really frustrating. I wore one to the store the other day and I'm not a dress person, you know, I'm not a dress yep. person, um, but it was cute. And I wore it to the store and the whole time I was in the store, I was like, you know, smoothing down my butt, you know, just making sure that like, it wasn't because if it had gotten caught up on my bag at all or anything like that, mm -hmm. every people would have seen everything. Um, yeah. and I know that you do the thing where you put the biker shorts under, but that to me, that just ruins it. Cause then it's just not comfortable at all. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole, I'm glad that I don't have to work right now. I'm not working right now in an office because mm -hmm. I can't imagine having to like buy new clothes. Now, granted, a lot of the clothes that I was wearing to the office were very loose and I probably could still get away with wearing them. But mm -hmm. like, I can't imagine people who have to go out and buy like fancy office clothes when they are super pregnant. So that was the next thing I was going to talk about. Oh my about. gosh. All right. T tell you us. must have been reading my mind because I was thinking the major difference was the types of work I was doing. So when I was pregnant in my twenties, I could totally dress super cash. It was fine for me to be wearing khaki capris and sleeveless tops um, with flip-flops. But my job that I had when I was pregnant with my most recent child was an office job, no open-toed shoes, no tank tops, you know, no short skirts, no, no open-toed shoes. Why is that? Yes. Why is that a rule? I don't know. In an apparently, office. Well, how does that affect your ability to do your job? It happened. Did you work right in a bowling alley? <laughs> like, what? No. I'm um, so confused. I'm not entirely sure, but it was a change that happened in the dress code. Uh, before I got there, apparently there was some huge pushback, particularly from the receptionist pool, since they really liked their open-toed dress shoes. Um, to me, it was really difficult because I wear like sandals or flip-flops or Birkenstocks mm -hmm. around the house. You will never catch me walking barefoot 
anywhere because we have four dogs and a baby and a cat and yeah a teenager yeah we're flip-flops in my house any number of things on the floor that you might step into at any given moment and when someone steps on something and screams and gets mad I'm like why would you walk through the house without shoes on that's just horrifying to think about so anyway the point of me saying that is because it means that when I go to leave my house there's not necessarily a trigger that says hey you're not wearing shoes mm. so sometimes I'd get and I work I live far away from work and I get mm -hmm. like all the way to work and realize I'm wearing my flip-flops I am like a Birkenstock wearer like even at work I was Mm -hmm. I mean, unless it was, I worked at a gym one time, so you couldn't wear open toe shoes at a gym. You know, I had to wear uh, sneakers or whatever, yeah. but like, I just, as an adult person, I cannot fathom someone telling me that I have, I mean, that's like someone telling me that you have to wear heels. Mm. Like it is so archaic to me. And I don't really, I don't understand it again, unless you are in an environment where it's unsafe to wear mm. open toed shoes and therefore I'm like a liability. Quite sure it's a safety issue. And, and I'm, I think it's just because we work in an unpredictable environment mm. and, and we work with a clientele that's very unpredictable mm. and it's, it's definitely a safety issue. I, I know that that is the reason I know that this lady also enjoys open-toed shoes so I'm sure there must have been some you know pure I don't know you know it must have been some industry standard that okay. in this type of work setting it really wasn't appropriate for us to to be wearing um, open-toed shoes because I can't imagine her just coming up with that and then making a rule she herself didn't particularly love so you know Usually that gotcha. means it came from somewhere else and she's following like a best practices. So anyway, so that was one of the most challenging things. That was first and foremost was the shoes. Yeah, I can imagine. Because before I was pregnant, I wore heels pretty much every day. What? Yes. I don't I even know people who wear heels. Like this I is a all the fancy office clothes. I had pantyhose. I had heels. What? People I still wear hose? In the winter? under my dresses you bet yeah i have now not in the summer, seen no. this from anyone who is you know not 70 or wearing okay. them fashionably like you know it's a color or something no because i have dresses and uh yeah that were nice i mean because you remember this is my first office job so when i started mm -hmm. two and a half years ago or whatever mm -hmm. um i had all these really nice designer dresses and they look great in the summer without you know, leggings or, ho or hose, but then in the winter, I'd want to keep wearing them. And it's like way too cold here mm, mm -hmm. to just be going with yeah. the whole bottom part of your leg exposed and to wear leggings with those kinds of dresses would look yeah. really awkward. Well, that's just so practical. Okay. I would wear like black, ho you know, stockings sure. or gray stockings. I had like all the green, I had all different colors to go with different outfits. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I was just into like all the fancy things. I'd have my little like wrap with my scarf tied in a fancy knot in my jewelry I was like and I and I flat ironed my hair every morning and put what? on my makeup oh I really wait I really got into don't it. you have naturally straight hair um when I had my hair cut in a bob or like <laughs> a kind of really short a-line when I first got that job and it was um bleach blonde it looked really sharp 
if I just flat ironed the like the bottoms to make sure that it came to that like perfect like flat point wow so, that so, is uh, intense yeah yeah it was it was like everything but then I got pregnant like six months into having that job mm -hmm. and all of that just went out the window so how was that Ooh, let's talk about that because I feel like this is something that people can relate to not me personally mm -hmm. but how how did you tell your employer especially since it was a new employer that you were mm -hmm. pregnant so I waited till I was three months pregnant mm -hmm. And then since I was kind of a new employee, I was still having sort of regular meetings with my supervisor, uh, sometimes to help me understand what my job was and things maybe I wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, and in one of those meetings, I just blurted out, I'm pregnant, pass the turnips. <laughs> no, but for real. Uh, I just said, I just want to tell you that, uh, I'm, that was a great, uh, thank you. That was, uh, for that. keeps yeah. Molly Reynolds. Um, <laughs> and that's the very best part of that whole movie. Mm -hmm. But, uh, anyway, uh, I just told him that I, I'm, I was pregnant and my due date was such and such date. And so I anticipated being on maternity leave uh for probably two and a half to three months wow. starting sometime around that date and going through to the end of um the time period that i would be on maternity leave and, and did said, you get a positive response yeah he said that's great whoa once yeah. again heather's like amazing job experience <laughs> so wins um, again yeah no they were they were super supportive and cool. i would say the most difficult thing to navigate was that um fmla doesn't kick in until you've been an employee for a year Ooh. and i went on maternity leave like three weeks before my year was there so there was actually three weeks where i didn't qualify for fmla and fortunately again thank you that i have a good job that they you know didn't penalize me for taking time off when I didn't even qualify for FMLA yet. So uh, did you, at what point did you stop working? How pregnant were you? Or did like, did you, some women go like until they have the baby, some people take mm -hmm. some time before. Yeah. And those people are crazy. I don't get it. <laughs> I've met so many women who are like, I worked right up to the day I went into labor. Right until like, the minute I gave labor. I started labor at work. That? Yeah. So about impressive. three weeks before my due date, I had gone into false labor multiple times. And one time I got really sick and dehydrated and that made me have really intense contractions. In fact, I would say almost worse than the contractions I had when I actually delivered the baby. Um, and I amazing. actually, so I even wanna pause here because I, I, this is interesting to me too. At what stage in your pregnancy did you start having contractions? Like, did you have Braxton Hicks contractions? Oh yeah, I definitely had those. But then getting down into that last month mm -hmm. or three weeks before I delivered, I would have really intense contractions that would build and build. And I would be thinking, I'm going to have the baby. I'd be sitting at work. Like I'm having a lot of contractions today. I'm like, I think I'm going to have the baby tonight. The baby's going to come early. And what did it feel like? describe it in detail 
to me, it feels like every muscle in your torso contracting at one time. Okay. And I would, I would say the only way I can compare, because it's not similar to any one thing, but if you take like the very worst menstrual cramps of your teenage years, like mm-hmm. those cramps you used to get when you're at school, sitting in your desk and you're just miserable and yeah. you probably look like you're about to die because <laughs> just sitting there taking every ounce of strength you can muster that coupled with that feeling when you like are about to have insane diarrhea and your like stomach is cramping all up and it's like taking every oh you know, that's like, worse <laughs> to like diarrhea not- cramps no. diarrhea cramps plus <laughs> menstrual cramps with every muscle in your torso contracting at one time See, that That's feels like such a weird psych out. Like, I feel like that would really mess with your head because you're expecting like something weird to come out of your body, like not a baby, mm-hmm. but you know, like some weird fluid or something mm-hmm. to come out of your body. Mm-hmm. And I just but- can't imagine, like, it's really, I don't know. The contraction thing is really difficult for me to really wrap my head around. And it is for everybody. You'll just have to wait till you get there. But I think that that's the best way I can describe it to maybe give you like a ballpark idea of what's coming. So um, I'm supposed to be potentially getting Braxton Hicks now, but like mm -hmm. the only thing that happens to me is like, sometimes the baby will like ball ball up Mm -hmm. and it's really tight, but I know it doesn't, it's not like a contraction. It's like, I see a ball, like he's falling up, you know, like the kid is falling up in there. So, but that's the only thing that to me feels like a tightness that I can kind of conceptualize Mm -hmm. and understand in that region. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I was having so many contractions and I went into what I thought was labor so many times Mm -hmm. that I ended up quitting work three weeks before I even delivered just because I was sure the baby was coming any minute. And then when I passed my due date, I really started to lose it because I just didn't understand why I hadn't had this baby yet. And to have contractions, you know, every day, every other day or whatever, and it to go on for hours and you to really start to like mentally think that, okay, this is it. And then they just stop. That's scary. Were you like going to the, to the hospital when those were happening? The only time I went to the hospital is that time I got really uh, sick. I kept throwing up. And so I got super dehydrated and that sent Mm -hmm. me into a false labor and I was having super bad contractions. So I went to the hospital that time, but since all my care was through a birth center, um, I was really trying to avoid hospitals because I felt like once they got their claws into me, they were going to like strap me to the bed and start a Pitocin drip and force me to have the baby just so they could get the money. I, I feel like it's a cash grab. So um, so I, I was think really, that's quite how it works, but, but I understand it, your concern. Now, the hospital I went into was actually amazing. And the women were very respectful of the fact that I definitely wanted to deliver the baby at my birth center if I had a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, when I first got in there was like, I know what they're going to do. I mean, I'm like, I'm having serious contractions. And so I thought, okay, if I don't have time to get to the birth center, that's one thing. But I was like, but I didn't trust them to tell me the truth that I, that even if I did have time, you know, I really felt like they would just lie to me to keep me there because I was having really serious contractions. I mean, there's no way I could argue with them if they said, nope, you, 
you don't have time to get to your birth center, which is like two hours away. Well, did they check your cervix? They did. And I wasn't really super dilated. So um, once I got hydrated, the contractions stopped and they were like, cool, you're good to go. You're definitely not having a baby tonight. So mm-hmm. you can go home. Yeah. If this happens, you know, it starts happening again, call your midwife and maybe head up there. But yeah, they actually turned out to be really honest and supportive and all the good things. So I was really pleased with that. But, so a lesson uh, in that story is stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Well, and I was trying, but uh, I had gotten up one morning and I was just starved, like starving. Mm-hmm. And because like for me, if I didn't eat like the minute that I got up, I would get really nauseous and, um, and, and it would just literally feel like I was like going to die. Yeah. So I would, so this one morning something had happened and I couldn't eat right away. And we had these like little chocolate banana protein shakes. So I just Mm. went to the fridge and I saw that and I opened it and I was like, okay, I'm going to drink this. And I kind of ended up just slamming it, like just glugged the whole thing down and immediately like it did not sit on my stomach at all. And I could not hold down even water for the rest of the day. It was really, really, and to be eight months pregnant, it was pretty traumatic. So by late afternoon, I was completely dehydrated and having the most intense contractions ever. So yeah, I was pretty scared. Very scary. Mm -hmm. But everything was fine. I just needed some um, anti-nausea medicine, which they gave me. And uh, they monitored me and they hooked me up to all the contraction machines and the heartbeat monitor. So, I mean, it was good to get that experience because you don't get all that stuff in a birth center. Um, You just have a baby. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have you hooked up to machines. And if, I mean, they'll take the baby's heartbeat, um, you know, as you're going through labor to make sure everything's going normally, but um, you're not laying on a gurney with all these wires and machines around you, like you were in a hospital. So it was kind of nice to have that experience, but it not be my birth experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's not every even birth experience. Um, Mm -hmm. From what I've like spoken with my doctor about, you don't have to be hooked up to anything unless there's like a medical reason for it. Um, It's kind of just what you choose to do. I think a lot of women who, and I mean, I could, this could just be my assumption here, but I do think that, um, a lot of women really choose to get all the drugs, like get epidurals and things like that. And if you decide that you're going to get an epidural, then you are on IV fluids from the get-go and then you are hooked up to everything. Um, and let me, let me say this. So here's what really scared me about being pregnant a second time, because I had, had a north I had a natural birth plan my first go round and I told everybody my midwife my doula my partner my family everybody knew that I did not want any drugs during my labor however when I got into the hospital even though I really wasn't ready to go into labor, the contractions really weren't at the level where they should have admitted me. They did anyway. And then they started all the Pitocin and the things that basically push the the birth along faster. And I think that's part of why my fear 
about the second time about the hospital like trapping me I think that's where that came from yeah that totally makes sense yeah um, and but I think then, I think fortunately a lot of things have changed between your first baby and your your second baby when it comes yeah. to like how the the medical community sees childbirth mm-hmm. um just based on what I'm being told and what I'm reading and hearing like um I know all the doctors, cause I'm, I'm scared to give birth in a hospital, but that's what I'm doing. Cause that's what, you know, my insurance covers and that's what's available to me. And it's like, all the doctors are like, you know, childbirth now is, is for a long time in the medical community was seen as like a, a medical situation. And now it's like a natural thing. And we're just here if anything goes wrong. Yeah, um, well, that's, that's really good. because so because what happened and I can look back on this now and see what happened but in the moment I couldn't figure it all out but uh, I wasn't ready to deliver that baby I wasn't dilating my water wasn't breaking none of the other signs were happening I was just having some mild contractions at regular intervals that Mm -hmm. had gone on for hours but I could have gone days like that honestly probably should have but I get there they start putting me on the IV liquids and all this to try to speed up the birth. They're coming in, checking me every, you know, hour or two, I'm not dilating. So they're upping the meds. Well, those things cause the contractions to be more difficult. So, I mean, did they give you the little balloon thing at all? I don't that new. So I guess like now, well, so Pitocin usually isn't the first thing they put you on. There's like this thing that starts a drug that starts with a C that's like a Mm -hmm. lot more calm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that either works or it doesn't to like get your body moving naturally. But if they really want to induce you, like for whatever reason, then they will put like a balloon in your cervix until you're Mm -hmm. dilated to four centimeters before they give you like anything else. Mm. So, cause they don't want your, you literally just like ripping open. No, they, they were, they were just giving me stuff to try to help the pregnancy progress faster. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't dilating. I just remember hours going by and them coming in and they're like, nope, you're still at five or six or whatever. And which um, is not like active. I mean, really, again, I, they could have just sent me home. They could have mm-hmm. pulled me off the toast and sent me home, Totally. but they weren't going to do that. They, that's what I'm saying. They had me in their clutches and there was no way they were going to let me go. And so after that sounds being, so awful, it's how it felt. So after being in labor for 30 plus hours, like excruciating back-to-back contractions, they were like, you're either going to have to get an epidural or a C-section. And they mm-hmm. knew that C-section was like my biggest fear and my last possible option. So basically they knew they were just telling me it is now time that you basically have to get an epidural or you're not going to be able to deliver this baby. You're going to be so tired and you're going to have to have a C-section. Yeah. So they, well, that actually through. rings true. I, th- I do think that they will like, mm-hmm. no, once sure. you were like laboring in but serious labor for situation. like 30 hours. Yeah, no, totally. I'm just I'm saying. a first time mom. I don't know anything. Yeah. You explain it to me and you send me back home and tell me to eat ice chips or something. Yeah, so no, I, that's super awful. Like I'm sorry I get just, to go through that. Okay. But it sucks. I mean, it does suck because I do think that experiences like that, like ruin people's, because Mm -hmm. I mean, also like 
those are the kind of experiences that I've heard about that mm-hmm. said a lot of the experiences that I've heard about were like 15, 20, 30 years ago. And I think a lot has changed. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot has changed everywhere, but I think in general, a lot has changed about the way that people look at it. Like now you really want to be a hospital that has a very low C-section rate and a very low episiotomy rate and a whatever. And before that was like technology, you know, yeah. like, look at what we can do. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we really want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. For so. Sure. so they tell me that I've basically got to get this epidural. So the anesthesiologist comes in and tells me to sit up and then tells me that I've got to sit completely still without moving. I cannot tense up any of my muscles. A contraction is of the muscles. It's literally the definition of a contraction is tensing your muscles. I have no voluntary control over that. I am in intense labor. And he says that if I move while he's got this needle in my spine, it could potentially paralyze me from the waist down. I mean, while that is true, cannot that imagine you a can be thing, paralyzed from the waist down, like what a dick. can't <laughs> imagine a scarier thing to hear. Uh, you are 25 years old and have been laboring yeah. for more than 30 hours. And For sure. Especially when you're in the middle of having a baby and it's like, you have no choice. It's not like you can just like walk out of the situation and be like, you know what? Yeah. I've decided I'm not going to have a baby anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. That's Thanks. the one thing in life where there is no, no possible back. exit other than delivering a baby or having a surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're at when you're in that moment. Yeah. And so I did, I did sit still and try to relax, but it took a very long time. I had a contraction while it was happening and oh. lived to tell about it. But um, then the really sad part is from then on, you can't move. You're yeah. literally laying on the gurney and that's it. So before I had been walking around the room, sitting on the exercise ball, getting in the bathtub, you know, kneeling down, getting in different positions, trying different breathing techniques. Yeah. I'm just laying in a bed. So a lot of hospitals now, a lot of hospitals now will do a walking epidural, Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't make it make you incapable of moving. That's good. But you still, I mean, you still feel, I don't really understand this walking epidural thing um, because you still feel everything. I guess you just don't feel it quite as intensely, but you can still like get up and walk around. And then I'm like, well, then why would you put, why would you put like drugs into your spine if you can still feel, it's very confusing to me and I don't understand. I'm sure I will understand all of these things more as time progresses, but um, it's all very interesting to me. And it's, it's Mm interesting. And I think what's upsetting is like, like your situation. So scary is what's scary about it is that unless you're in the situation, there's only so much that you're going to learn about it because mm-hmm. different doctors, different hospitals, different mm-hmm. um, birth centers, everyone's going to have a different philosophy and a slightly different philosophy. And so, um, and everyone's going to have different policies and different things you can do. Like I know for me, it was a really big deal to find out like, what can I do at this particular hospital during labor? Like, because I want to be able to move around and like, you know, Mm -hmm. not have to give birth on my back if I don't want to. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. So you Mm -hmm. have to like figure all this out. But as a first time mom, Mm -hmm. which you were in that situation, 
you don't even know what your options are. Like, because all we've seen on TV is this one type of thing. So it's like when you don't know what your options are and you don't know how to advocate for yourself because you don't even know what you can or can't do. Mm -hmm. Like, I can imagine that being terrifying because there's a lot of information available now and it's still terrifying to me. So, I mean, I can't even fathom, especially being in my, you know, early twenties and not knowing Mm -hmm. anything about that at all. Like, that sounds so scary. And I certainly watched dozens and dozens and dozens of real life deliveries and 99.9% of them were a lady laying on her back in Mm -hmm. a hospital bed. And I can tell you after having my second child, which I gave, had a water birth and I was kneeling. Wow. I would never recommend anyone deliver a baby on their back. If you have the kneeling thing, I'm into that. Like, it was so much, I mean, you got gravity on your side. I absolutely believe that women were designed to give birth while kneeling, mm-hmm. not laying on their backs. Nothing about that position makes any sense to me. Well, a and, lot of women do it standing up and like squatting, you know, yeah, or that I can see that too. If you can stand up, I don't know if I could stand up while. <laughs> oh, I am not speaking from experience. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> telling you like, um, it was all I could do to walk to the bathtub. I mean, I had to be supported. And once I got into it, I was just like, okay, you know, this is the only way I can even do this. Mm-hmm. But um, having an epidural meant that I couldn't walk and that I had to be on my back. And then the other thing is there's something really compromising and uncomfortable about being in a room and having your legs in stirrups and your whole, you know, yeah whatever on display for whoever's in that room well that's how that's the reason that women give birth on their backs is because some dude doctor like 100 years ago or so was like I feel like the woman should be on display and then Mm -hmm. that was just how it was done like for no particular reason other than some man wanted a woman to be on display while she was giving birth Yeah. Which is horrifying and probably was one of my scariest things I was thinking about going into my first labor. Mm -hmm. But in my second one, I literally had like a room full of people. It was dimly lit with like candles or maybe fake candles or very low lighting. And um, I'm just in a bathtub kneeling down. Like there's nothing for anybody to see at all. And then there was a baby. And that was it. And nobody was so great. My whole lady package wasn't on display for my friends and family. Lady package. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, I mean, even my older kid was in the room and insisted on being in the room, which to me was like, That's why? Weird. I mean, I tried to talk him out of it. I'm like, please do not share this experience with me. I do not want you to have this memory of me. Um, but now on the other side of it, like knowing that it was just, us in this dimly lit room with me in a bathtub and then a baby Mm -hmm. it really wasn't that traumatizing other than probably me screaming and cussing for the 10 minutes leading up to it yeah and it's like I mean that sounds super amazing and again I know that some women really don't even want that some women really Mm -hmm. do want like the epidural and you know whatever Mm -hmm. and I think everyone should do whatever works best for them yeah um for sure 
but it is really, it is a shame that everyone can't have that experience if they want it. Um, mm -hmm. because most people do give birth at hospitals because that's what insurance covers mm -hmm. and it's still crazy expensive. Um, and I mean, there is like, it's really great to if have people there, if something does go wrong, you don't want anything to go wrong, but it's great to have like all that stuff available if it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, well, a, it's a shame that it has to be so. Uh, and here's the lesson Nicole. I came out of my first delivery with. I said for years after that, even really up till I got pregnant with this second baby, I said, well, the lesson I've learned is just go ahead and get the epidural as soon as you can, because the scariest part about it was having to do it while in intense labor. If I'd have done it hours earlier, well, first of all, I could have just slept through the 10 hours of excruciating con contractions. And then I wouldn't have had to worry about being paralyzed mm -hmm. if I moved or tensed up at the wrong moment. And so that was what I decided that I would get the epidural right away. And I would just coast through the pregnancy on drugs. Yeah. And that's what and, that being a lot of people choose that. Then I started reading to prepare myself for this pregnancy uh, the, the more recent one, and started learning about the complications that can arise from having an epidural mm -hmm. too soon or getting it when you really shouldn't get one because it can actually, you know, stall the labor or create problems mm -hmm. where you can't push. And so then I was afraid of getting the epidural. So then suddenly everything seems scary. Like even the epidural wasn't the easy answer. Yeah. So. I really do think that once you sort of get on that train, like, I think it's, it's difficult to get off of it. Like once you get on the Pitocin epidural, I think you're like sort of steamrolling your way towards C-section without meaning to, um, sometimes, mm -hmm. but I, again, that's, that's not everyone's experience. So I, this is a thing that I can't really talk. I can't speak too much on because I definitely have a very solid birth plan. I have mm -hmm. spoken with my doctor about it. I will be speaking with my doctors about it from here till the end of yeah. this whole situation. Um, but I also know that things never go as you plan them to go in life. So I, sometimes, uh, sometimes I, I was in my second birth went even more perfectly to plan than I could have anticipated. So mm -hmm. I just, I just want to yeah. counter that by saying it can, in fact, follow your birth plan to the T, but it's not a guarantee and you really won't know till. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not in control of, of the situation like the baby is. So for the most part, um, so like, I feel like it's really just important to be open to all the options and just be well informed of what all of the things mean and mm -hmm. what it's like I've I've heard women say oh, I only watch positive birth stories and it's like no you need to watch the not positive ones too because if anything goes wrong you don't want to be freaking out in the moment because you're I'm sure already freaking out because it's yeah. already like I my doctor was explaining something to me oh she was explaining the if you get induced and you're not ready and like this is what happens and I was like um that sounds like a lot to me and she's like uh yeah pushing a baby out of your body is a lot 
like mm-hmm. it's a lot to begin so like yeah. you know yeah doing all this other stuff is a lot um yeah. that's no, that's the process it's definitely the most terrifying thing and and you can look at it as either you know you're you're not getting out of this without delivering a baby or having a surgery but I can say that when I had a natural birth and you you get to this moment where you just sort of give up like your your whole body is like yeah just doing things you have no control over I mean that's sort of what I've heard you know and yeah and then you just kind of like give into it and accept like the only way out of this is I've got to push this baby out and then when it's done this part is over and yeah and it's sort of like I would say it's similar to the raft near-death experience like you get to this point where you just give in and you're like okay just you know I'm just whatever is about to happen I'm gonna have to get through it yeah and And I mean I will say like to be honest about it um at this point I'm pretty chill about it I don't have a lot of anxiety so maybe I shouldn't compare Um, it to near-death experiences well I mean it's just (laughs) like I'm trying not to overthink it too much because it is an inevitable situation So Mm -hmm. a lot of times when I encounter those in life, be it, Mm -hmm. you know, any, usually with medical things like, oh, I have to go to the dentist or, you know, whatever. There's no point in getting all worked up about it because it's going to happen. So Mm -hmm. it is what it is. You know, I'm not like, so I just want to be like as informed as possible and Mm -hmm. as educated as possible and want to make sure that I advocate for myself, that my husband advocates for me and that he knows what I want. Um, and that we're on the same page and, you know, all of that stuff. And I have like Mm -hmm. multiple birth plans written out just in case something happens to one of them or, you know, they're slightly different. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's really like the best that you can do. And I know like now that, um, now I'm kind of on all of these pregnancy forums and boards and I'm reading, you know, these women that are just so terrified of childbirth and I'm like, oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, I hope I don't get terrified from from reading any of this stuff I mean I understand it I totally do but I just it seems sort of pointless at this at this point (laughs) you know I mean those are things you need to consider before getting pregnant because yeah once once you're there because honestly I know so many women and I think you've even said this to me in the past too who seem to think they would just rather opt for a Mm c-section skip the whole labor and delivery and for me, my biggest fear was having to recover from an abdominal surgery Yeah, because abdominal surgery is no joke. My grandmother had to have multiples because of some issues she had um, that I was way too young to honestly understand. I just know she had a huge scar over her abdomen and, um, and I've talked to other women. So my, my biggest fear was like never having a good solid abdominal wall again because of a poorly done surgery or just some other issues or that just the the point of being a new mom and trying to do the things for the mom caused the incision to tear picking up the baby like there's all these limitations you have you're recovering from surgery and you have a new baby so to me that was the scariest thing and that was why c-section was like for sure. My absolute last possible choice. I get women that say they just don't want the experience and I don't even judge or criticize anyone who feels that way. I'm just saying for me, I was more afraid about damaging 
you know, that core muscle in my mm-hmm. body or that core part of my body and it never being as strong or, or me always feeling compromised in some way because of it. Well, and I think what that sort of stems from too, is that I think I remember in the early 2000s, elected C-sections being the trend, like mm-hmm. being a real thing, like everyone was doing them. And yeah. so I don't even Didn't think Britney that or somebody lots of people were doing them because then you could plan your birth. You could like have a whole, like a whole plan. Like it was just, oh, well, this is what I'm doing on this day, you know? And, you know, it just made it so much easier in some ways. And I don't think that doctors were being really upfront about how intense mm-hmm. a C-section is. And I think that some people have them and they're totally fine and everything's great. I've heard a, I've, a lot of horror stories um and of course you can't always predict that you can't always plan that and sometimes you know that happens and it's not in your birth plan and you know that's just that was the safest thing to happen if it's um, the, if it's for the sake of the baby yes i mean do what you got to do to save the baby yeah. but um, but yeah i mean i don't i'm not going to judge anyone who like plans that but it's it's mm-hmm. not it's definitely not it's my not plan um not, not my me. thing but you know Um, And I can say like when I was in my 20s, the reason I didn't want to do it is because I anticipated having more children. mm. And 15 years ago, they weren't even talking about. They wouldn't let you do that. Like now you hear post C-section. Yeah. You hear that term all the time now. Okay. And before you had to have a C-section if you'd had a C-section before. Yeah. So if you had one C-section, then you knew all your other kids are going to be C-sections, which meant I would never experience natural or a true labor. And that made me really sad. And then when I had my second child, which I was pretty sure was going to be my last, uh, I was much older and actually just worried about my body healing because things take longer to heal now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I was, you know, I wouldn't be able to work out or get get back running. I mean, there'd be so many things I might not be able to do for a really long time, or maybe never enjoy the same way again, like I had before the C-section. So that, that it was totally different fears each time, but Mm -hmm. both to me really valid. So. Yeah. I mean, that said, I would be interested in hearing someone's planned C-section story Mm -hmm. just, just to know more about. Um, I find it all pretty fascinating. And I think again, as we talk about this and talk about just like your birth experience, the first time versus like what I'm hearing from people now and hospitals now and doctors now, And then also talking about like C-sections and what doctors were saying about C-sections just a decade ago. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy to me that it's 2021 and we're now just like, oh yes, in the last decade, we've determined that pregnancy is a natural thing for women. You know, like there's just so Mm. much, like so much progress that has not been made that like that is progress at this point Mm -hmm. that that that, you know so much has happened just in the last Mm -hmm. you know decade or so well doesn't insurance like if you were to try to change to a new insurance right now wouldn't your pregnancy be considered a pre-existing condition no because obamacare exists oh oh okay but yeah for Prior to Obamacare, prior so when to I, the Affordable Care Act, it would have been a pre-existing condition. Yeah. Now, I don't but, know. I mean. But I mean, I'm just saying that's like a crazy way to think about it. Yeah, it is. It is crazy because it's like it's a condition. A condition. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, even still my doc, like when I look at my doctor's notes, 
And at the bottom, it's like problems. My problem is that I'm pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Isn't this like a, isn't that part of wait, reproduction and fertility. That's part of a doctor. Like that's, that's how that works here. Like, how is that a problem? So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, but, and I'm sure that that's on there for insurance purposes, because Mm -hmm. again, it's just like, and that's like one of the bullshit things about you insurance. You've got to validate all treatments. You have to validate anything. So, I mean, and that's what's terrible about insurance is that like, so, you know, you get all this blood work done when you're pregnant. Now, no blood work is done like preventatively and normal life without like insurance does not cover that. Insurance yeah. usually covers you if you're like on your deathbed and that's about the extent of it. They do not cover you trying not to get to the deathbed. So like, you know, I've gotten all these bills where they had to be sent back because they were coded incorrectly because they weren't coded as specifically being for Mm -hmm. pregnancy. And it's just like, well, shouldn't you cover that anyway? Like, I'm just trying to be a healthy human. Like, shouldn't you cover that for everyone? No. Uh, Yeah. I don't want to get on a pregnancy uh, or an insurance talk, but I will just say that um, 15 years ago when I got pregnant, I had fantastic private insurance that was very pricey for um, a 25 year old who was hundred percent healthy with no preexisting conditions. And because I didn't opt to pay more for maternity coverage, just in case I got pregnant, mm-hmm. um, I was not able to increase my insurance to covering pregnancy once I got pregnant. Wow. And because it was a pre-existing condition back then. Oh my gosh. And so even though I had private insurance, I had to come off of it and go on to Medicaid because it was the only mm-hmm. way that my pregnancy would be covered. Any, any medical treatment um, that I had done during the entire pregnancy would not have been covered by my private carrier because even your regular general practitioner checkups, if you're pregnant is considered treatment for mm-hmm. maternity care. And so they wouldn't cover any of it. And that's insane. And it's kind so of I'm glad crazy things too. are different now. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy too, how even now like Medicaid will cover like everything, but regular insurance won't cover anything. And it's like, why, Mm -hmm. where's that disparity? Like that doesn't actually make any sense. Like, and Mm -hmm. you know, that's not a bash to Medicaid. That's how all of it should be run. Like Mm -hmm. that we all should have that. Um, Well, and then the thing out here that I kind of came across when I was pregnant was uh, that yes, Medicaid would cover any type of hospital birth and regular care. But um, a lot of the birth centers and the midwives things would not be covered by Medicaid. Mm. So to find a birth center, now I wasn't on Medicaid. I have employer insurance. Well, insurance won't cover that either. Just FYI. uh, Well, my insurance covered the birth center. Yeah, mine doesn't. But the birth center that I, one of them that I went to actually took OHP. And I thought that was a really fantastic thing that this was actually an option which it should be because for Medicaid's purposes, a birth center is a much cheaper if the mm-hmm. person actually goes through the whole thing and stays in that birth center and doesn't ever have to go to the hospital, like a 10th, you know, yeah. or, you know, a 15th maybe of the total price of a hospital birth. So you would hope that Medicaid would want to put that money whenever people were willing to take that option. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, it's a crazy system. It, 
none of it makes any sense to anyone none of it makes any sense to anyone who's not making those big bucks yeah that's for sure yeah so anyway but yeah I don't want to go down on a, wow a this this whole yeah this hot girl summer yeah. pregnancy thing got hot really twisted summer <laughs> Well, there's, there's nothing, there's no hot girl summer that compares to a hot pregnant girl summer. This is so, so true. Things got real, real here. Cause you're like body temperature is up. You've got mm-hmm. more blood in your body. Mm. You're carrying around another person with you everywhere. Yeah, you which is heavy. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And hot. Yeah, for sure. Hot. Super hot. Right. So good to good, you know, good on you. Keep the faith. Hang in there eat sorbet and salad mm, that sounds wear, amazing wear flowy clothes and sandals i will oh. try my best and hopefully down and then there, everything will go as planned we'll do an update pregnancy <laughs> episode and we'll get to hear how your pregnancy went if yeah give us some feedback um listeners if you are interested in hearing more about this topic because i know that they're um there are plenty of people who are looking for a relatable source mm-hmm. on pregnancy. Um, so let us know or let us know if it like totally weirds you out and you're not interested. And then we'll <laughs> either talk about it or we won't because this is our podcast and we can do what we want. <laughs> um, and also if any of our listeners have some really great birth stories, I always love a good birth Or not story. great that you still want to tell us about because it, yeah. you know you would want to get it out there. I feel like I have one really great one and one like really traumatic one. And so I got Mm -hmm. one of each, you know, and, uh, and that's why I like to share them both because um, I learned a lot in the first one, but you know, there's only so much you can know when you never know what's right for you, because Mm -hmm. certainly going into a birth center, your fear is things go wrong and they don't realize it in time. Right. And even though I was right next to a hospital and I could be there in moments time um the the problem is if you're not hooked up to all the machines or you don't have the doctors there who know all the you know maybe warning signs to look for mm-hmm. you know can something go under the radar i did have a friend who tried to have a home birth and waited way too long to get to the hospital and um the the baby was without oxygen for quite some time oh. which caused uh, a slew of um medical mm-hmm. issues for that yeah. child and uh, certainly was a very difficult situation for her and her husband to deal with over the next many, many years as they mm-hmm. raised him. And uh, that scared the bejesus out of me. Sure. But, um, you know, so to me, I always knew that at the first sign of trouble, I'd be willing to make that leap over to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, so if you want note. to share a birth <laughs> story, send us an email at tell me something real podcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a less than a minute long voice note on our anchor page yeah because I do think that the more we talk about this the more people know and the more you know like Mm -hmm. the more options you have and it's just healthier for everyone all around and creates a better experience for everyone the best thing you can do to prepare yourself and Kelly I know you're doing this is to talk to other people who have been pregnant and had different types of births because I do think that it is better to have a good 360 view of all of the possibilities all of the solutions to those different possibilities 
and you know clearly that person's here to share the story so how did that work out for them mm -hmm. so you know and then that's you know knowledge and knowledge is power so I was prepared for anything to happen when I had my second baby and like I said it all went down perfectly so I was glad I didn't have to explore those different avenues but I definitely felt prepared and ready to accept anything that was about to come as long as it gave me and especially the baby the best chance for healthy situations for sure and that's yeah. very empowering to, yes, to have is. the knowledge I would say having a natural birth was the most empowering experience I've ever had as a woman and really changed me mentally that's super so. cool and inspiring mm -hmm. yeah now I can take on the world all right well good because you're gonna have to do that without any baths um, <laughs> It's so, so difficult. Heather, on that note, I guess it's time to wrap things up. I yeah. really hope you get your water situation situated. Yeah. Before the next time we talk. <laughs> that is the next thing on the list for today. First podcast, then water. All right. So I, so I definitely keep my priorities lined up. I hear you. All right. So podcast, bath time. I'm going to paint or not paint, depending on whether the fumes will harm me. Um, do some research on your paint and, uh, we'll see what happens next week. Yeah. Who knows where this podcast could go? Narcissist, pregnancy, bath time, stalking, 60s food, 60s food. We're just all over the place, but that's, what's fun about it. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, Heather, I hope you have a good week. You too. And until next time, keep it real.